Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to yet another episode. And today I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I think I think I need the New Year's has passed. I need to take a step back and figure out who's like good in the NBA right now. I don't know what's going. Everyone's averaging sixty points a game. Uh, it's one. The Thunder are beating the Celtics one fifteen. You know one fifty to one fifteen without Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, we, we Cody, are you up for this? Can we go through and talk about some teams and just kind of take a temperature check on like who's who's for real and who's not for real? That sounds great. L- like you said, I'm confused about things. The Celtics are playing like 500 ball in the last month. The Bucks forgot how to score baskets. I don't know if 20 rebounds is like useful or valuable anymore. Does 40 points should we even care if someone scores 40? Like, there's too much happening that I just have questions about. Wait a second. Who who got 20 rebounds? Everyone. Giannis had like oh, yeah. back-to-back 40-20 games, and Jokic basically had like a 50-30 game, and everyone's grabbing 20 rebounds. Luka had 60-20 or something. I, I don't know, Ben. Wait wait a second. Giannis had like 55 points last night, Yeah, he right? did. Yes, he did. Is that even good anymore? I don't know. I, I don't know. I saw that, and I'm like, cool, another 50-point game. It's, honestly, is this like the 10th the 50-point game in the last month? It's it, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, fifty point game games going on, but I mean I, I don't I don't know what team we should start with. Uh, maybe the box. We just you mentioned the box. Are you still feeling good about the box long term? You know, are they still in your as you like to say, pound the table, inner inner tier championship contender? Or is is Milwaukee still there? You know, I I think they have to be, in my mind. Like, sure, they're not going through a great streak right now, but they did start off the season like 9-0. They had a powerhouse defense. They still have a powerhouse defense. I think they're still in, like, the top five for uh, defensive rating. It's just their offense fell off a cliff. Chris Middleton just doesn't look like Chris Middleton right now. Drew Holiday is not having the regular season he's had the last couple of regular seasons, at least in terms of, like, efficiency and scoring. Um I don't know. Giannis is still Giannis. They still have the same system and ecosystem going on. Ultimately, it's the long game, but I also feel like there's a lot of other teams sort of in that inner circle right now. So it's like whatever slice of the pie they had previous seasons is like shared a little bit more with a bunch of other teams. I feel like I'm waiting for this to change every time we come back to it this year. I think it was probably about a month ago where we did some power ranking. Uh, maybe we called it like confused power rankings because of all the all the parody trying to make sense of things. And now we're at a really fun part of the season where we have larger samples that actually give us a taste of what's going on. But then this is also the time last year where like the Celtics upshifted and just completely reconfigured everything, made a couple trades, you know, addition by subtraction, Rob Williams to the weak side. They took off. Um, Dallas midseason trade deadline trades. And now this year, right now, the Nets are a team that, what have they won about 24 games in a row? They haven't lost in a while. They, they've won a ton in a row, right? Yeah. It's, is it like 12, 13 in a row at this point? It feels like this is something we should know with the internet. The, the irony, I think, of this show sometimes is we do so much prep on like film and detailed stats that you don't even know the team's record anymore. They have won 12 in a row. I, I have successfully looked it up. They've won 12 in a row. It, it's interesting. They've won um, 16 out of 17. They were 9 and 11 
the day after Thanksgiving, November 25th, they lost to the Pacers. They've won 16 out of 17. But in trying to catch up on their games, Cody, they've definitely had a soft schedule. And they've definitely caught teams without their players. So you like try to watch a game and you're like, okay, sweet. Nets 76ers. And then it's like, okay, there's no Embiid. Okay, I'll watch because I'll see what Harden's doing. Okay, there's no Harden. They're playing the 76ers. Okay, okay, let's go to the next game. Um, Nets Warriors. Fantastic. Okay, there's no Curry, but maybe we could. And it's like, wait a second. Ty Jerome is starting. What's going on? So it's just like the Celtics last year where they're smashing some weak teams. They're getting a nice schedule, but there is a material change. Our friend Gibson Piper over at Half Court Hoops just had a really cool video on the net switching defense. And that's that's like a clear difference to me between the Nets last year and even the Nets at the beginning of this year. That defense is active. It's on the same page. The communication is better. And it's set up in a way that even if it's not some silver bullet, it seems to leverage the length. It seems to leverage some of the strengths that they have in a way that makes them like, oh, if if the Nets play defense like this in the playoffs, um, we know they have, you know, shooters and they have Kevin Durant. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is how you win deep playoff series with, with defenses like this. I think that's a really good point because – the way that I think about especially like Durant, Simmons, Claxton, when you build a defense around those three, you got three pretty flexible defenders. Like they can go around and do a bunch of different things. You can slot them down near the rim and they can all kind of rim protect. They're all really long. They're all pretty strong, so you can't necessarily post them up. And then all of them, Claxton, and Simmons is still probably the best point of attack defender out of them. But Nick Claxton, Ben, like that man is on an absolute tear defensively. And when he switches out, because that was a big part of, of uh, the Half Court Hoops video on YouTube, is that they're switching pretty much every ball screen. And a key to that working is that Nick Claxton is like, bam, at a bio, I'll raise you one Nick Claxton. I'll show you what I can do out there. And he's killing it. And he can slot down. He protects the rim. Did you know in the last month, Ben, in the last month, it's in a really small sample size. So don't even ask me how many minutes it is. But since December 1st, when Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton are on the court together, Nick Claxton is averaging over five blocks per 75 possessions. Five blocks per 75 possessions. Not telling you the minutes load, but like he is doing everything defensively. He's protecting the rim. He's switching out and defending everybody. Um, I think he's really the key to the way that they're able to play their defensive system. Is it 75 possessions? Is that how many possessions has he played? It, or is it more than that? It's higher than that, but it's probably okay. not double that. Okay. Uh, no, they've, you know, Simmons is really interesting because he's moving better again. He, I think he's a little heavier than he was a couple years ago when he was younger in Philadelphia. So it's not necessarily fair to say, you know, one version, the, the old version is absolutely better than this version defensively. It's just a little different. Right, He may have lost a few things that he had in terms of fluidity of movement or agility, but he's also a little sturdier, a little stronger. He's a little older, and he's definitely moving better and more engaged than he was when he was feeling his way back into the rotation earlier in the season. And he's so interesting because you can stick him on the point guard one game, right? And then the next game, you can stick him on Giannis. And then, of course, because of that versatility... You can play a switching scheme like this where, especially Simmons and Durant, but as you mentioned, even Claxton, those three guys, for the most part, you're like never really worried if you're on a big or if you're on a small or anyone in between. 
The other thing that the Nets are doing well, this goes back to communication, is they are kind of moving into the gaps or loading up on the ball if you get a switch and you try to isolate. And so that helps. If you're you're Nick Claxton and you're switched on to Dame Lillard or something, having Royce O'Neal at the nail be aware that he needs to take two more steps toward the ball and deter any kind of isolation drive, then the ball pops to the other side and you're right back in into the Nets wheelhouse where it's like, hey, you want to you want to change sides and ball screen again? Well, we'll just switch again. And now Ben Simmons is back into the play. So I think that the defense is um, fascinating because it's a real thing. And, you know, we'll we'll probably get a larger sample to see how good it is. But it 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 certainly puts them in the discussion, like back in the discussion for me as as a serious heavy heavy hitting team when you have the offensive firepower that they also have. I think what I find really interesting about them is that you can kind of see the warts right now with trying out this new defensive style, right? Like it's not perfect. When it's seamless, it's great. It's amazing. And you're like, oh, wow, they're going to be able to carry this defense in the playoffs. But there's still a few moments. Like there is, you know, a few games ago when they were playing the Hornets, like Durant switches out on Rozier. And this is one of those minutes where Durant is like the nominal center because they have no one that's big besides Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons on the team. And he, gets, he gets switched out onto Terry Rozier. But then Durant kind of like floats back to the paint. And I think he's just like telepathically hoping someone else goes out and helps on Rozier, but he doesn't communicate that. And Rozier's like one pass away, gets the pass back, and he takes the three. I don't even remember if he makes it, but I remember being like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you communicating that? But in general, like there's a lot of other times when they're really good. They're really communicative when they're moving things around. And I think some of those moments that you can point out and be like, see, they're not perfect yet. That's okay. Because it's still early in the season. I think by the end, that's going to be a much more well-oiled machine. But that kind of leads me to a question, Ben. Do you, like, believe this as a sustainable, as, sorry, let me try that again. Do you believe them (laughs) being able to sustain this level of defensive brilliance? Because they're, like, the seventh best defense in the last month. Do you think they're a top ten defense? Oh, boy. Um, It it may be. Maybe the edge of that. That's what it looks like to my eye from the handful of games that uh, I've sort of seen over this stretch from them. Um, I, it, it doesn't seem to be the blueprint, nor do they have the personnel to be like a top five. We're going to win in the playoffs precisely because of our defense. But it also seems like the scheme and the players they do have make them above average and make them above average in a way where they might actually be like pretty good defensively in the long run. Um, Looking at our board here, we have team stats for the last month, patreon.com slash thinking basketball for our our top tier subscribers. And they are first in the last month in offensive rating. Hmm. So we can talk about the defense and the defense has propelled them to this 12 game winning streak and to the best overall net rating in the league in the last month or they're at plus 11 uh, in the last month. Other teams have been kind of in that ballpark Memphis is plus nine in the last month Philadelphia is plus eight in the last month and I think the Knicks are also around plus nine or plus ten the feisty Knicks so we'll 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 get to them in a second I think um but like when you when you look at what the Nets have offensively just having a defense that's around that level like a top 10 level that also translates to success in the playoffs would make them a very dangerous team in any normal year. It would make them pretty feisty. But this season, Cody, the other thing is like all the parody 
it's it's really really incredible i'm waiting for a team or two to emerge and it just looks like we're going to be lucky to get a first place team with like 56 wins at the end of the like like the second seed is going to have like 49 wins it's it's incredible and makes makes the differential makes like any any advantage that you can get over your opponent that much more valuable in in a playoff series you ready showtime on may 3rd summer starts with the fall guy let's do it later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You talked about the Celtics last year. Kind of had this change where Marcus Smart goes to point guard. Rob Williams, weak side defender. They all of a sudden just like it works, right? All the, like they manifest themselves. They're like the Celtics are here. Is are the Nets kind of having that moment right now? And if not, do you like what other team do you think is like ready to have, have that kind of shift before the playoffs? I think I want a little bit more of a sample to fully contextualize it. But yes, I would say the Nets right now have have um, shifted. It seems pretty significantly from where they were at the start of the year. You get a coaching change. You want to implement some new stuff. And um, and and just especially getting players back, you know. But the guys they've gotten back, Seth Curry coming back, Joe Harris coming back, Ben Simmons rounding into form, a lot of that helps the offense. Kyrie Irving coming back and playing. Like, the, you, you, you have Kevin Durant, who's just a regular season machine offensively and you start to put that level of shooting around him and a little bit more offensive talent around him and so I think I actually didn't even know until I looked it up right now that they were first in offensive rating at 123 over the last month but you just assume that's a steady thing that you can rely on and the problem last year as we talked about ironically right around this time I think it was like the first week of January the second week of January we started talking about how the Nets defense was all broken and they had some good shooting luck, and it was all smoke and mirrors. And it's kind of the opposite right now, where when you watch them play, their communication stands out. They seem to be switching and jump switching. That is to say, aggressively switching with a purpose, uh, you know, in a coordinated fashion. It's like night and day. So, yeah, I would say, I don't know. Are you? How do you feel about them relative to the, the other top teams? Well, I mean... Like you said with the offense, like if Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant are clicking, you have Seth Curry, you have Joe Harris healthy. I I don't know how that's not like a top 10 offense at absolute bare minimum, right? And especially Kevin Durant. Like I I didn't look it up ahead of time. I should have. He's in the 30 points per 75 plus 10% club. I've referenced that before. That's a very exclusive club historically, very exclusive club. And so, you know, if Kevin Durant just keeps doing what he does, which is just what Kevin Durant does, I feel really strong about them. But the thing, man... Ben, I'm just worried about their lack of size on the bench. That's the one thing that concerns me because, first of all, I'm going to plant my flag right now and start the Nick Claxton for one of the all-defensive teams, right? I'm planting wow. my flag. I want th- I'm want. i going to try and make that happen. I'm saying it right now. 
this is my one thing I want to see at the end of the season. But when he's off the court, like you have these lineups where Ben Simmons is the center, Kevin Durant is the center, TJ Warren is the center. And, you know, there are some possessions. I think you were watching the Bucks game that they played back in December. And in some of those minutes, Brooke Lopez was just feasting down low on them. Just big man down there, just everywhere. Barbecue chicken slipping and sliding, throwing it down, hook shots everywhere. And I... I don't, I don't know if they can survive without another big in the playoffs, and especially if, if you know, God forbid, Nick Claxton gets injured. I don't know what happens to the defense, but I think they need more size coming off the bench. Did you just drink some lemonade? That was <laughs> that was some tangy stuff. I had my venison um, then. No, we're back on the yeah. venison with the onions. Okay, that no, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Cla- Claxton's been very good for them. He, he's been very good for them. His, his defensive metrics are enormous they might overstate kind of where i think he would land on other teams in terms of in terms of value and overall sort of defensive production but um we're gonna we're gonna put it in writing you're 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 planting the flag in the ground i don't know who he's displacing there's only like four or six really good defenders and then the the guards also get on the all defensive team so you get like four or six really good defenders um that reminds me have you seen Jaron Jackson play defense lately? I was going to say, I'm sitting here running. I'm like, all right, so there, there's Giannis. We have, we have Jared Allen. We have, we have Evan Mobley out there. Jaron Jackson. So there's a lot of good defenders in the league. But st- I, I want this to happen. I want this for Nick Claxton. You didn't even say Draymond Green. Dr- Draymond is, Green. Yeah. yeah. I, um, do you think Dr- – never mind. That's, that's besides the I point. think Draymond Green is a better defender than Nick Claxton? I just – I feel like because Curry's out and the Warriors probably aren't going to be doing so well, people just aren't going to – they're bored of Draymond Green. I'm not even saying that he's he's not as good. I'm just saying people are bored of him. They got bored of him five years ago. That's- <laughs> um, you know, taking taking like a longer lens historically, it feels weird that one, um, more people weren't sort of talking about how good he was last year. Two that he who won defensive player of the year? Marcus Smart last year he yeah. won defensive yeah he did. yeah, yep. yeah. I, the the gap in my head between 2022 Marcus Smart who I think is one of the all time great guard defenders and 2022 Draymond Green is probably like the gap between Marcus Smart and like I don't know Damian Lillard as a defender. <laughs> Or something, but just people don't talk. People just are just like, yeah, Draymond. He just does whatever. People are gonna be mad. So, at you, ben. Yeah, who's gonna be mad? What fan base is gonna be mad? The ones today? that voted for Marcus Smart. All the Marcus Smart voters. I ne- I never said that was a, a problem voting for Marcus Smart. Okay. I'm just saying as an Im- the impact that that person has defensively. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. By the way, yeah, I, uh, um, I, I used all of this as a long con to look up my thirty points plus ten stat. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's only one player that's ever played more than 50 games and scored 30 points per 75 and shot over 10% uh, relative true shooting. Probably plays for the Warriors, Cody. He did it twice, Ben. He plays for the Warriors, yes, right? Yes, Mr. Stephen Curry did it twice back in 2016 and then again in 2018, only with 51 games. But still, that's incredible. Okay. I just want to point out for everyone commenting that Cody was the one who brought up Steph Curry in this podcast. <laughs> I did not. He's not on the agenda today we can get to the warriors in a second because we because that's an interesting team to try to make sense of with what's happening right now but i i wanted to go to memphis um because jaron jackson jr he still gets a little bit sloppy with the body and the fouls 
and the aggression just trying to block everything because he's like sometimes gets embodied by Hakeem Olajuwon. So I understand. I understand his impulse to try to block everything. Uh, but what I've realized at this point, Cody, with Jaron Jackson, where I am on him is his ability to rein in that like perfect balance of when to go for a shot, when to stay back, when to concede something. So he does stay out of foul trouble completely. And the way he plays, that's only the difference between him being like a great defender and him being an all-time level defender. Because I just, I just, just so people understand, just so people understand, his block percentage right now is 11%. That means he blocks 11% of the two-point shots that are taken was he, when he's on the floor. I believe that would be the highest in NBA history. We could double-check that, but you get into like some crazy minute bowl seasons in the 80s and things like that. I believe that would be number one all time. And if you haven't yet, if you're a subscriber at, at patreon.com slash thinking basketball and you haven't yet pulled up Jaron Jackson Jr.'s player card and looked at his defensive stats, I just want to read just want to read the percentiles that he sits in right now. Uh, we got a number of stats like defensive EPM, uh, you know, field goal percentage allowed uh, in the paint, around the basket, things like that. He, he Defensive rating when he's on the court. Memphis has the best defensive rating in the league when he's on the court. Their defensive rating when he's on the court is under 105. And the league average offensive rating is like 114. So that's, that's 100 percentile. Let me just read some more percentiles. 99th percentile, 98th percentile, 99th percentile, 100th percentile, 94th percentile. And he's only in the 85th percentile in a number of shots he contests around the basket. What a slacker. So, so yeah, all this is to say that um, I think Memphis is really good in the long term looking forward. They haven't fully been healthy. Where are you on the Grizzlies? Well, let me add on to the, to the Jaron Jackson propaganda here, because you referenced this earlier in the episode. If you just look at the last month, they have the best defensive rating in the NBA at about 106, right? That's about seven points better than the 10th best defense in the NBA in the last month. Like, they are just heads and shoulders better than anyone else. Like, I was even looking at the Nets, who we were saying is like the seventh. The Nets are still like a 113 defensive rating at seven. And the, the Grizzlies are down to like a 106. So like, their defense is just on another level in the last 30 days or so. But um, overall, honestly, it's like recently I haven't watched a ton of the Grizzlies. I know you get really excited about Jaron Jackson. How, how about you tell me, how are you feeling about the Grizzlies prospects right now? Well, it's, 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 it's not just Jaron. I think it's, you know, you have a superstar level player in John Morant. Um, part of the defense that's interesting to me is figuring out what's going on with Dylan Brooks. Like, like on one, <laughs> you know, I, I say that, I say that sensitively. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tread, <laughs> tread lightly here but like this is this is a player that averages 17 points a game he takes a lot of shots I don't know he's got a permanent green light going on which is on one side like you know potentially not the greatest thing in the world on the other side they use him like this little annoying pest spearheaded point of attack like in the in the Nets game I was watching the Grizzlies Nets game and they're just like we're gonna have Dylan Brooks just hawk Kevin Durant everywhere he goes and when you have a team 
that has Jaron Jackson, that has a big bruiser like Steven Adams, that um, has guys with length and shop, you know, Brandon Clark, um, even someone like Santi Aldama, uh, you know, Tyus Jones, like, like they're really good defensively. They got some good reps last year. And then that backcourt offensively, we haven't seen them because of health a lot, but John Morant, Desmond Bain, I think when this team is fully actualized, much like my um, spirit animal that I feel for them, the 90s Supersonics, you know, they could they they could once again get the top seed and be bumped early and have it seen as a disappointment. But just like a lot of those 90s Sonics teams, I, I, I think they're going to be really good. And I think if they have home court, um, you know, they're also going to be right there with with the best teams in the in the late rounds. So yeah, I'm 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 pretty high on Memphis. You know, the Dylan Brooks experience. I'm glad you did bring it up because I think he is really interesting cuz you know, on one hand, you really don't want the guy with the green light to be shooting 7 percentage points worse than league average true shooting. Like that's that's just not what you want, especially when like, you know, Desmond Bain and John Morant on your team. Obviously, I know they've missed a lot more time. They're not always on the court together. But like you said, I can't speak to a lot of his defense, but he really is a pretty flexible point of attack defender. And I think he really seems to enjoy getting into guys like that. I remember watching a Thunder game where he like really got up into Shea. Like he was like, I'm going to give you everything I've got. You know, Shea's good. He's still going to get to his spots, but I thought I remember him bothering Shea more than I've seen most other guys bother him. So when you have guys like Jaron Jackson uh, on the back line, and especially the fact I've talked about this so many times, when you can have a guy that can float between being a four and a five and protecting the rim and going out and getting out of the perimeter, when you have Jaron Jackson being able to do that and some guys that can that can hound smaller players out in the perimeter, that's really a strong ecosystem where less less strong defenders will say like John Morant can thrive. So um, I think it's a really good environment for having an offensive superstar like that. And then their defensive system just like, it feels like it's going to stay, right? Like where the Nets, I kind of might have some questions about their size. I don't have questions about this Grizzlies team's defense. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we were just talking about the Nets in some detail. We've we've landed on the Grizzlies. I mean, if you had to if you had to compare those teams in your mind right now, would one of them be in a different tier of title contender, or um, are are they similar? Like, how you know? What are you thinking going forward? It's a it's a really big question, Ben. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. You are putting me on the spot. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if if I'm falling back into my Bucks fandom and I'm just thinking about years past, but that Nets team just scares me. Like they they strike me as a team that 
especially like offensively. And, you know, I, I do feel like if you can create your own shot and you have multiple different avenues to score in the playoffs, I think that's still probably one of the more important things to have. Um, if they're healthy and clicking, that Nets team, I think I would have above the Grizzlies right now. So, so like, are we talking like title probability here like a like a ceiling of being able to win all four rounds yeah you 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 made a face like you I mean I assume you know these teams are are pretty good right there aren't that many teams in the league that are much better were you surprised that I said title versus like conference finalist or finalist I mean I just want to I just want to kind of you know level set and get on the same page with what we're thinking about the quality of these teams because there's so many similar teams right now with no one really standing out and I personally don't think there are 13 championship contenders but um I mean I wouldn't be surprised if either of these teams ended up in the NBA finals yeah I think okay the, here here's my heuristic the what, what I just went with right now if I woke up tomorrow and it was like July and someone was like Cody you know who just won the title the Grizzlies or an alternate universe right they're mm. like Cody the Nets just won the title if someone told me the Nets won the title I'd be like yeah that makes sense. It all worked. But if someone told me the Grizzlies won the title, I would probably be like, wow, I wonder what happened for that to happen. They had quite the uh, quite the gauntlet to get through in the Western Conference. And I don't even think I'm saying anything about the, the East being weaker, but it just it it feels more natural to say that the Nets could win. So I definitely, based off that, the Grizzlies are a little are probably a tier below the Nets. What what are you thinking about these two teams? Well, man, when you phrased it that way, it made total sense. But I can't tell if I just sort of like got into the movie too much. If you yeah. know, what I, mean. I was like, yeah, I was like, yes, that makes total sense. You've convinced me. Yes. Um, well, I want to go back to what you said about the West. So the West, the gauntlet of the West is tougher than the East. Um, and I know you didn't say that verbatim, so I'm not holding you to that. But like I, the West, boy. So who are we thinking is the gauntlet of the West. What what teams do you... Because I almost see it as kind of the opposite. I, I think in the West, for me, maybe Denver and Golden State are kind of like the only two other main threats to, to you know, maybe the, we could come up with another team that maybe could come out of the conference, but um, Dallas and Phoenix and... New Orleans, I think, all are very good, but with limitations. So talk to me about what, what you're thinking there in terms of like the, the competition. Because for historical perspective, when you get a season like 1995, like 1975, um, there was probably another one off the top of my head. I'll even say 2010 going into the playoffs. The Lakers ended up coming out. But you, you, when you get like four, five, six teams that all look kind of similar and they're really good, you got you like you got to beat three good teams just to get out of your conference, and that can off like you can get lucky or it can separate the wheat from the chaff. It's it's a lot different than saying like, hey, we know in the first round we're a high seed and we have a cakewalk against this thirty-eight win you know young and up and coming team, and in the second round we have home court against the mediocre team where we have a good mismatch, and now all we have to do is win that conference finals with home court against a tough opponent. This is the opposite landscape. This is like. Any of these teams could be the one seed or the six seed, and you might have to play three good teams. So I think I've stalled enough for you to <laughs> for you to talk me through sort of how you see the West. So I'm going to have my cake and eat it too on this one. I see the West being more competitive because I think most of the Western Conference 
is almost like a tier below the top of the East, but they're all so close together. Like when you said that, I was just going through the Western teams and I'm like, who wouldn't surprise me if I woke up in July and they told me they won the championship? And I think the only team that wouldn't surprise me is the Warriors. And I'm not even talking just because the Warriors are playing so well this year. They aren't, right? But like... (laughs) The Warriors, like we saw what happened last year. Um, Curry's coming back healthy. Draymond turns it on again. Clay Thompson decides he's going to drop 50 every game. And I'm like, sure, that would make sense. But everyone else, I'm like, I think there's got a lot, a lot of things have to go right for one of those teams to make it. You know, but if you told me something like, oh, the Cavaliers knocked out the Nets in the playoffs, I'd be like, oh, wow, really? Or someone was like, oh, yeah, the Knicks knocked out the Celtics. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Right? Like there's an upper echelon of the East, whereas in the West, they're all kind of up globbed together. Interesting. So you would be surprised if Denver won the title? I would be more surprised. More surprised than than the East, the top of the East. Yes, Okay, and with the top of the East, because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm getting my bearings more than like a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. But the the top of the East is still Boston, Milwaukee. You're including uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, I think those so are my those three. three. Yeah, the- those three teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like deja vu. <laughs> Have we said Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn <laughs> as the top three teams in the East before at all in the last like three, four, or five years? It feels like that's been said before. So, yeah, so we have those three in the East, and then in the West, I think it's just the Warriors for me. And I think, you know, if you said, well, who's second in the West, I would say the Nuggets. But they just seem, they don't seem to quite be there, and I don't know if it's just because I need to see it, right? Like, maybe it's one of those seeing is believing moments, you know? And I just, I just, I don't know. Am I being unfair to the Nuggets right now? Uh, I, I don't know if it's totally unfair, because there are there are things that need to happen. I just think... What we talked about last week, the combination of having Jokic, having the health of Murray and Porter, and what we're seeing develop a little bit defensively. They just need enough to, to tread water defensively. And, um, you know, we were even talking internally, uh, our, our great video coordinator, Mike De La Rosa, was pulling some clips about how they're experimenting with pre-switching more and how usually that's to set up for the playoffs. And so if you have more diversity defensively and you're more prepared like this in the playoffs, that along with the offensive magic gives me gives me like they're a team you could see having all like not all of those things happen so they don't make it through the gauntlet. But I think that's the recipe for for how they make it through the gauntlet. The Warriors, I'm fascinated by this stretch with Curry being out, you know, Clay, <laughs> Clay, Tom, did Clay Thompson have 54 points the other day? Yes, night? he did then. Yeah. Um, I just, everyone has a 54 point point game, but in Clay's case, he's actually starting to look better. I think, you know, he, he came back from something catastrophic and he's older, you know, he's not 24 years old anymore. And so for him to, get back on the same page defensively with everyone else where he left off and to kind of be an asset there. We saw it at times at the end of the championship run last year. And then offensively, he's a guy who went from like a couple percentage points below league average in true shooting, true shooting, try to say that right, like 53, 54% to start the year. I think in the last month or so, uh, maybe I'm getting the dates wrong, but he's had a pretty sustained stretch now where he's like 58, 59% true shooting. Because of Curry's injury, he's doing a little bit more on ball, a little bit more um, passing and playmaking. And I just think that 
Jordan Poole getting a rhythm, Dante DiVincenzo now sort of getting that actualized piece to, in a way, replace Gary Payton the second from last year. Although you know you can't you can't replace you can't replace Gary Payton the second. It's like it's it's like what Denzel Washington said in Remember the Titans: You cannot replace a Gary Bertier. You cannot replace Gary Payton the second. Um, in, in all seriousness, though, like Draymond Green getting into better conditioning, flying all over the court, and you get Steph Curry back with the lineups that they've had when Steph Curry's been on the floor this year. I don't know them off the top of my head, but they've been really, really good when he's been on the floor. Even even with their struggles, they're already over 500. So, yeah, it's like I think I see those two teams along with Memphis as probably the three most likely teams to come out of the West. And not only Curry, like Wiggins has missed, what, 13, 14, oh, 15 games yeah. in a row at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So they're missing They're missing their key wing defender. They're missing their key score. And, like, Curry was on a heater before this, Ben. We talked about the 30-plus-10 club. He was like a 30-plus-9 club. Like, he's been flirting with 30-plus-10. So, I don't know. Um, ultimately, I still feel really strong about them. But let's say, let's say, for instance, that those four are, like, the, the right-now inner circle, the early January inner circle. If you had to take another team from the East and another team from the West, who do you think your next picks are to be in title contention? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk through it out loud. I think, you know, Phoenix, because of their track record has to be considered in the West. New Orleans is really good in general. They're young. And I think, I think there are some things there we haven't seen at all. You know, we haven't seen a lot of Ingram and, um, Zion and CJ all together, but I would think, and then Dallas, those are, those are the three teams I would consider in the West. If I had to pick one of them. Uh, in a weird way, I think I would pick Dallas, mm. even though I think the Pelicans have a higher regular season offensive ceiling. Like, I think if the Pelicans got healthy, they could finish. I mean, the, the West is so close together. They could finish with a one seed. They could finish with the one seed and, and they're really good and they would play the play in team and they could take care of the play in team. And then they would have a matchup against the four or the five. And depending on who that is, they could possibly even win that series, and it wouldn't surprise me as well. But if I had to pick some kind of like fourth team that I think could win all three rounds in the West against these other teams, the the Luka Doncic just like how how good are you, and and how how well can we tune the instrument around you thing? I think that would be my my dark horse pick. So. Talking about the Pelicans for a second, because I think one time we were talking about them before, maybe we did like a segment on their defense at some point. And I think at that point in the season, they were maybe the second best defense in the league, maybe the third or second best defense. In the last month, I kind of predicted that they would fall back to earth, and it looks like they have. They're just a shade above above league average uh, defensive rating in the last month. And I think that's probably where they're going to cap out. Like that seems most believable to me. And I don't know, I think because of some of their... Their defense is predicated, in my mind, to so much flying around with not as much rim protection like I talked before that I just don't necessarily trust it in the playoffs. So I think their playoff chances, in my mind, hinges on how dominant can Zion be. Like, we've never seen him in the playoffs before. Do you think, like, 
Because, you know, with Giannis, before he won a championship, everyone was like, well, does Giannis have enough of a bag to take playoff defenses? Do you think that's the sort of thing that's going to happen with Zion? Do you think his offensive game looks that much different from Giannis's pre-being able to develop a little jumper that he's going to be kind of immune to any sort of defensive coverage just thrown at him? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be immune, but uh, and I do think he will have some coverages. We we had an extra video on the More Thinking Basketball channel on how some teams are are playing him. I called it the Zion Romer um, in in titling that video, sort of like saying, "Hey, look, New Orleans, if you're not going to put four good shooters around Zion, then why should we, you know, stick on this mediocre shooter behind the line when we can come kind of overload a side, flood more bodies toward Williamson, things like that." And if you have the right length, Memphis, wink, wink, does. Um, I, maybe, possibly, because they have Draymond Green and Kavon Looney, maybe you could see Golden State pulling something like that off where over the course of the series they kind of tune themselves and get smart to the way Zion likes to attack. But, Cody, I also don't think this is someone who's going to get in the playoffs. And see his scoring numbers plummet because one because you just have to you have to play a team that has elite rim protection i think for it to really bot like that length and even that twin tower length can bother him like the bucks did in their uh recent game in december but two zion is so gifted at the little things at 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 getting into nooks and crannies at setting people up like let's compare him back to Giannis and I have a little of this in the upcoming video on Zion and the Pelicans who knows when this video is going to come out because Zion is shelved right now with the hamstring injury but like if you think about Giannis Giannis is truly a battering ram he is like this giant 6'10 dude, takes these antelope strides. Do antelopes have long strides? I realized it as it came out of my mouth. I know nothing about antelopes, but he takes very long strides and he's incredibly broad and physically strong. So he's he's powering through. We've talked about it before when it comes to like the way the game's being officiated. He's a bowling ball. He just runs through players all the time. You rarely ever see that from Zion. Because he's basically a, an oversized guard. He's six six. He gets very low to the ground. He moves like a great running back in football. And he finds the space. And he may... There's two things that he does that stand out to me. One, he may be one of the great space eaters of all time. Meaning like you put a little space in front of him and he explodes right into it. And then you're just done. What are you, you going to do? You can't stop him. Because he can jump and contort his body and finish. Two... I've talked about this concept of what I dubbed the gap dribble before. That means like a second defender is stunting at you, coming toward you. There's a double team. They're sitting in your driving lane. And most guys, when they feel that extra pressure, they pick up their dribble. That's the first thing they do. Zion is an all-timer, just like LeBron at his peak. At like, I'm going right through that crease. And he might take another dribble. He might not. It doesn't matter with him. He can pick up his dribble at the free throw line and still end up with a layup. And you're like, wait... How'd you do that? So all that is to say, I think um, some teams can give him some problems and maybe give the Pelicans a few problems, but I also think they're good enough and he's good enough that the wheels won't fall off, basically. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. 
a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Now you're saying, well, why don't you have the Pelicans as an inner circle contender then? The big thing with the defense is the shooting luck. They've had the best shooting luck, three-point shooting luck against them in the league. So as much as I love um, Dyson Daniels and especially Trey Murphy the third, and we, 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 have we done a Trey Murphy the third hour of love on this podcast yet? We should. That dude rules. He, he is. That, he is really good. Um, I, would, I would put him in a group of sophomores. There's a couple like under-the-radar sophomores that right now are really, really good. And he's one of them. Good shooter, uh, attacks closeouts well, pretty good decision maker for a non-primary sort of offensive weapon, and a pretty good defender. And he's he's like 6'8 or 6'9. So what I'm actually thinking is you might see lineups from New Orleans in the playoffs where it's like, uh, you know, Jonas is on the bench and you don't really have a center out there. And maybe Larry Nance is your center, but maybe even not him. Maybe it's just like Trey Murphy's 6'9", and Dyson Daniels is like really big, and Zion is out there, and Brandon Ingram is 6'9", and, and that's, your, that's like your lineup. So, yeah, I, I, I think the combination of those two things, not quite enough to, to get into that inner circle of like, I can rely on them to win the third and the fourth series. That's kind of where I am with them. I want to talk about Zion's build for a second, because I really like the way that you kind of contrasted the way that he drives versus Giannis, where Giannis is kind of a battering ram, but the key difference between them is Giannis, while he's like, he's big, he's definitely strong, he's still like limbs everywhere, right? Very tall person, kind of easy to get in front of sometimes. Like, let, let's be honest, Ben. Let, let's be honest. Giannis should probably be called for at least a couple more offensive fouls throughout the season. J- just a couple just more. Throughout the whole season, just, just a couple? We're just, Ben, Ben, just accept this what This is I'm, a big admission from you. Ex- yeah, accept what I'm is, saying. Giannis could probably yeah. be called a couple more times on offensive fouls. But yeah. Zion's kind of got like, like Charles Barkley, like he's his low center of gravity. He kind of is like able to move you without like throwing you down. Like you said, it's kind of the way that LeBron's able to like get his shoulder into you or as Giannis is like throwing his whole body at you. But the thing I'm looking at, they kind of, I'm going to ask this lightly because I don't necessarily know where to go with this because this is interesting. We have Zion and we have a bunch of these really interesting forwards, you know, Herb Jones, love Herb Jones. We love Herb Jones. Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, the third, Najee Marshall, another just hound when it comes to, to one-on-one defense. Brandon Ingram's missed a lot of time, Ben. How do you feel about his reintegration into this rotation right now? I feel pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel pretty good. Okay. Because I I feel like his strengths as a basketball player, his shot making, what I saw last year in the playoffs with him and McCollum and the young guys playing off each other, I don't think he'll have a hard time finding that. So I think it'll really be just a matter of, um, you know, integrating the defense and the lineups in the way that are optimal for them. And and hopefully he plays better. You know, he got a 6'9 body out there on a team with Zion Williamson. And you're that good offensively. Just get a little bit better defensively. And that's, that's a big value add for the team. So I feel pretty good about that. I'm not, that's not something that is really slowing me down with the Pelicans. In fact, it's the other way if anything, where I'm wondering, like, when he comes back, how good are they going to look in the regular season? And if it's really good, 
then what kind of you know calibration do do, do we make heading into the postseason? There's another team I want to ask you about. I haven't watched them a ton lately, but I see clips. He's another one of those guys that fills up the stat sheet. What do you feel about Philadelphia right now? Why why don't we bring up Philadelphia? There, this is a team, Ben, that I'm sure someone from Philadelphia is just screaming, like, why aren't you talking about them? We have, like, the, the highest volume scorer in the league right now. James Harden looks pretty solid. You know, it looks like uh, uh, Melton is one of the great pickups of the offseason. They're rolling. Why aren't they in your inner circle right now? Well, you you asked me for one team from each conference. I, I'm, I'm yelling be... from the perspective of, of, of a Philadelphian, Ben. Well, you're setting me up perfectly for my for my Eastern Conference pick. Oh. For, like if if you so I, th- I think what we've done here today is maybe establish some concept of like contenders and pretenders and who's on the fringe and you know i don't know if we want to include cleveland in this next group um it feels prudent to imp- include them also it's like you know winning four series against all these big boys for for a team that young um, it might be too much to ask, but if I had to pick a team from the West who, I mean, sorry for yeah, the West, <laughs> we just did the West from the East who could be the dark horse or would be the next kind of group. I think Philadelphia would be my first pick. I'm, st- I'm still not sure entirely what to make of them going into the playoffs. And then in the, in the playoffs, you got a lot of playoff baggage there with the histories with the players and the coach and all that stuff but like regular season i think you're right cody and i and i think if you're in philadelphia and you're you're hoarse from yelling at the radio you know i think you're right i think they're kind of a potentially dangerous little team um melton is a great is a great shout out and i said them earlier i said the last month they have a they have a plus eight net rating one of only a handful of teams that's really had a had a fantastic month um, and I, I think of you sometimes with Melton. I really do because I'm like, because that is like the balanced version of Matisse. Thibel. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The last yeah. part of that hurt. I thought you were saying that you heard about my game and were like, you know what? The way that you tenaciously attack on defense, that sounds exactly like you. And I, I was flattered for a second. I was flattered. Is that how you play? I, I'm not quite like, especially in my, my elder age, I'm, I'm staring down the, uh, the next decade of my life coming up here in a in a few days here, Ben. But uh, I, w- I would like to think that I could ramp up the defensive wrecking ballness at times. You get into it on the perimeter, and you're kind of like a th- a three and D player who can make some decisions with the ball. You know what? Th- this is actually a really bad comparison. I'm nothing like Melton. That's why I was confused by this whole thing. Uh, I just like the defense, and I was I was honored to be spoken like that. But with Joel Embiid, he started the season. Uh, I think he had some foot problems. I don't think his mobility looked good. I think it's looked better. Like, defensively, they've been a lot stronger, and I think a lot of that has to do... They are playing Thibault a little bit more, but they're playing him. Uh, Melton, obviously, is out there. P.J. Tucker, I don't know how much he's moving the needle defensively, but he's at least, like, a solid defensive player. Um, but I think the fact that Embiid just looks so much better than when they started the season that's going to be a boon for them going forward. But like you said, this team does have some warts that they're facing down when it gets to the playoffs. And I'm really interested to see how they face those head on. Because right now, if I asked you, if there was a matchup in the playoffs between the Cavaliers and the 76ers, and you woke up and you were told one of them won, which one would you be less surprised about winning that series? Uh, oh boy. Um, may- maybe Philadelphia? 
maybe i i don't I don't know. I also, you know, it's it's a it's a helpful way to frame things sometimes. And we did it earlier on the show, but it it does kind of set you up for a status quo bias because it 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 right. It's leaning into the fact that like Cleveland is young and new and they haven't done it yet. And Philadelphia, um, even though they haven't made the finals, it's like yeah, you you know Joel Embiid is a beast, and you know PJ Tucker has been the role player on like. Uh, it feels like a lot of championship teams. I think it's only one, um, but you know he's played that he he played that role with the Rockets during the great um, Clone Wars of whatever whatever those wars were called between the Rockets and the Warriors, and then he played it in Philadelphia. And um, you know he, he's been around the block, and and Harden has also been around the block. And then you've got you just mentioned Anthony Melton, but you've also got Tyrese Maxey involved there everyone of course knows from our 25 under 25 podcast that you are a big big Tyrese Maxey guy so it's like the pieces in that equation seem to make a little bit more sense historically but is that just preying on our status quo bias and maybe I'll I'll throw this back at you because it came up earlier is that maybe what's happening with Memphis or do you see structural things in Memphis that make you question the totality of the team. You know, I, I, I connect them to the um, 90s Supersonics, which is in one hand a great compliment, one of my favorite teams, an extremely successful team. But on the other hand, a team that I've documented, I think in Thinking Basketball, the book, I talked about how they kind of underperformed in the playoffs over their peak stretch in the middle and later part of the 1990s. And the similarities between the teams that remind me, you know, kind of make the connection in my head, it's like very athletic, they have inside-outside stuff. It was Peyton and Kemp back then. But they're also really deep. And when you're really deep, you get this weird thing that we got last year where it's like, oh, John Morant missed 20 games and Memphis is 19-1. and one. So, What does that mean in the playoffs? Do you, you, You're going to play John Morant, right? What does that mean? So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you want to go back and, and talk about Memphis, but you just got me thinking about, like, status quo bias and the fact that we're in a lot of parody, so do we mentally default to the teams that have done it? Do we just go like, oh yeah, Milwaukee and Boston? I trust, I trust that Milwaukee and Boston will be the teams to come out of the East, probably because I just saw that the last two years. Yeah, I think Milwaukee's probably getting the most curve here because of what they've done in the past and if someone else had someone else above them sure whatever that makes sense but going back to memphis because i think that's a really fair question um i feel like there's a couple of guys in their key rotation that i'm just nervous about that i feel like can either be schemed out of a game or a series or might just individually lose you a game or two likewise they might win you a game or two but like let's say steven adams steven adams always performs well plus minus in the regular season does he always hold up well into every playoff uh, series? Uh, Dylan Brooks, again, great one-on-one defender. Is he going to shoot you out of a game when you really can't be giving up games all the time? You know, people like Brandon Clark. I like Brandon Clark. He gets minutes. But again, like, I can see some matchups where he might have some struggles. So there's like multiple guys with the Grizzlies that I'm just a little bit more concerned about. But if we go to the east side, I, I think the Cavs are my next team outside of that inner circle. You know, we just saw Donnie drop 71 the other day. Like, that was that was ridiculous. And I think we talked about, we ranked the top 10 offensive players in the league last year, two years ago, whenever we did it. Uh, Donnie was, like, in the top 10. 
he was right near the top. Donovan Mitchell is a killer on offense. When he's surrounded with guys like Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen, who used to be the weak man's Rudy Gobert, but now Rudy Gobert is the weak man's Jarrett Allen, and it's just all confusing when you think about it. So I just... I really like what they have, what the Cavs have set up, and I think they're number four for me in the East. Okay, so you're less surprised if it's the Cavs winning than the 76ers. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that, especially especially because they have Darius Garland. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I we 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 looked it up, so maybe it's a good note to finish on. Donovan Mitchell's 71 point game. <laughs> The 70 point games in NBA history are rarer than perfect games in baseball. They happen in one in every 10,500 games. That's all 70 point games. There are actually a couple 70 point games that I think are gimmicky, you know? And I, well, they are. They are. How, why? Do, do, you don't think they're gimmicky? Do you want to say any? Do, do you want to say them? We know, we know the exact <laughs> games. That are gimmicky. We we know them, okay. right? Here here are the seventy point games that are not gimmicky. Elgin Baylor's, uh, pick one of Wilt Chamberlain's, any of them. Kobe Bryant's eighty one point game and Donovan Mitchell's seventy one point game. I so the rest either involve going for a scoring title or feeding someone for some reason. Like they didn't happen in an actual game setting. That's how rare it is. But I don't, I don't know. We it will be interesting to see. If that could make all right, look, uh, I'm stuck on Cleveland. Let's talk about I'm Cleveland. Cleveland. I'm interested. Yeah, now. no, I'm stuck. I'm stuck on them. We have to. We have to. I have to get this therapy before we end the show. Do they need to have home court? Do they need to be a high seed, or are you going to be comfortable with the Cavs being like a three or four seed and being able to win three series in the East? Man, that's tough. Because if they're down, if they don't have home court, that means chances are they're going to be facing off against. Are you saying like playing a team that's not one of the the top three? I, I I guess I'm asking a question with a couple dimensions. One of them is who they're going to play, but the other is their performance. Mm-hmm. So Cleveland and Denver have been like opposite teams from a statistical like one statistical sense this year. Denver and they've been this way for a couple of years, I think, precisely because they have um, old 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 Nicky Jokic on the team, uh, like. They always win close games. It it it's incredible, and they always have a better win total and standings than their point differential would suggest. And I think it's precisely because of that. The Cavs, like many young teams, this is the second year in a row where I think they look better in things like point differential and strength of schedule, but they lose more games than you would expect. And so it's like, okay, let's say Cleveland has the best point differential in the NBA going into the playoffs but they're the four seed because they only won 51 games instead of 57 and a couple teams in the east beat them are you still feeling comfortable because i think for me that actually might be the thing that swings it i actually kind of want to start seeing the Cavs steal games win close games win on the road um you know the the other night was incredible but i want to see that when they're at full strength against good teams i mean i think that's a fair ask that's almost like too hypothetical for me to respond to because I'm just, you know, I'm kind of trying to run it through the same test that I ran the Grizzlies through. And honestly, I'm kind of looking through it. I'm like, all right, could Kevin Love be schemed against? Karis Levert might shoot you out of a game. Isaac Okoro, could they? I, I don't. There are some guys I'm nervous about, but they're top four. Like, I love 
the defensive offensive balance counterbalance of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. And I think somebody like Evan Mobley and the way that he can play defense is the sort of skeleton key that you need in the playoffs to succeed. And especially when you have someone like Jared Allen that can protect the rim like he's able to. Um, in the past, he's been better at finishing at the rim. I think he's kind of picked it up this year. He started off not as strong, but that's one of those guys that's just an elite rim runner. And that's that's a lot of synergy that I like. And I don't quite see that synergy with teams like the Grizzlies were like, yeah, you have all these parts that are great and I love how they work. But when I see the Cavs, I'm like, this is how I would want to build a team. Like archetypally, these are the kinds of guys I would want to put together to make a successful playoff run. I want to change my answer on the Cavs. Dean Wade has been out. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a key omission when you were listing players like you laugh, but it's serious because because the, they have these four guys, right? Yeah. They have Allen, they have Mobley, they have Garland, they have Mitchell. Allen maybe like Rob Williams with the Celtics, maybe he won't play 38 minutes a game, but maybe he'll be a monster for like 28 or 30 minutes a game in the playoffs. And that means maybe we got a bunch of Mobley at the five minutes. Maybe we have clutch minutes where they're smaller and he's switching. And, you know, this all depends on the opponent and things like that. So having another big body that can shoot threes and play and doesn't take things off the table and defend like Dean Wade, I mean, you know, you, you, you laugh, but I, I changed my answer. I want to I want to see the full thing healthy in a month to kind of get a feel for what it looks like. If they're if they're in the same place and they're still radically underperforming their point differential, I'm going to take that as a sign that it's going to be hard for them to win win three series in, in the East against teams of this quality. Wait, so your your answer about the 76ers or Cavs is you want to wait till Dean Wade is back and then make an assessment after seeing him play at full strength. 100% Dean Wade. Okay. Every Everything hinges on Dean everything Wade. Everything hinges yeah. on Dean Wade. The true everything best hinges. D. Wade of Cavs history. It's, yeah, it's funny when Dean Wade first came in the league, I would be listening to games and the volume wouldn't even be that high. And I, they would keep saying D Wade, D Wade, D Wade. And I was like, why are they, what is happening? I thought, I thought D Wade retired and was like in Utah or something. I don't know. We should end the show. Uh, if you want, if you want to support, if you want to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's where you can sign up and get our daily stats leaderboards that we reference all the time on this pod. We've got updating players. We've got updating teams. Uh, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That is it for this one. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and as always, wherever you are. Oh, oh, wait. Happy New Year, right? This is the New Year. I think I think this is our first show of the New oh, Year. Yeah, so, right. uh, yeah, yeah. So very important. Um Hopefully you had a very healthy, happy, safe new year. And of course, that you are having a great day.